Welcome to From Uniforms to Unicorns. This podcast is all about our experience as female corrections officers, our challenges, our triumphs, and our transitions out of the career. Lauren and I have always had a significant bond friends, moms, and business owners that happen to be in prison. Life attempted to separate us, but we always found a way back to each other through huge life milestones, tragedy, and random text messages saying, I thought of you today. We know there's huge curiosity surrounding these topics, and we aren't the only ones that struggle. There are also incredible stories just waiting to be shared, and we want this to be a safe place for us and you to talk about the often unspoken world of corrections. Grab a coffee, head out on a walk, or just take a break. Let me warn you, we have no idea what we're doing. From uniforms to unicorns. From uniforms to unicorns is sponsored by Brand 47 Coffee, which was founded by Holly and Alex, both first responders looking to create a sustainable business to pass on to their two sons with Down syndrome, Jax and Nico. Thinking about the future has always been in the forefront of their heads for their boys, creating meaningful employment and independence as adults. The only way to do that was to create it. Brand 47 Coffee Co. provides the most unique and fun flavored coffee. Seriously, it is so good. Our Mine and Sharon's favorite is the Coco Loco. It's coconut infused. It is to die for. All of their coffee is small batched and roasted to order. They are incredible people doing incredible things. Their visions is to keep the world caffeinated, to stay special and be extra. You can find them at brand47coffee.com. Hi, Sharon. Hi, friend. It's been forever, hey? I know. We got on here today and I was like, when was the last time we did this? I know. I was a little, little nervous. A little, some little butterflies. It's been a while. Yeah, it's exciting though. I'm glad to be back in the the studio. That's in the what, studio, that's what Jody calls it. She sleeps when she sleeps over. She sleeps in the studio. So she was the... there. <laughs> Where Karen and Sharon record their podcast. Absolutely, oh, it's awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll let and you we're... go ahead and introduce who we have. Yeah, because it's exciting. It's a, it is very exciting, and we're back with a new season. And uh, this season, we're going to be talking about reinventing yourself. And we have someone with us that we worked, we both worked with at EIFW, which is the jail in Edmonton. And uh, we've got Gloria Joint Lang. We're Yay! super excited! Yay! <laughs> thanks for being here. Well, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, awesome. It's exciting. We uh, share as soon as Sharon said, "I want to do this reinvent yourself." And I have, I know exactly who I'm going to start contacting. I'm like, sweet. Yeah. She, yeah. she is really the mastermind behind this thing. I literally <laughs> just showed up to this. It's so amazing. <laughs> That's not true. But uh, anyway, we're, we're excited to have you, Gloria. Uh, I um, worked with you at, well, we both did at EIFW, but I was going to say you gave me the chance to um, do some parole work when I was pregnant and it was I was so thankful for the opportunity even looking back now it was just a big piece of my life that I was grateful to have a wonderful boss as I was barfing every day and going through my 
my journey with my lovely, lovely daughter. <laughs> oh, Sharon, I felt so bad for you during that time. You're always popping your declect. Is it what it's Yeah, declectin, declectin, that's right. Ugh. My lovely child. So, Gloria, um, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, what led you to corrections? Well, it's, it's kind of a silly little story, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell it in ways because um, I was in high school at the time and uh, my friends were all going on to post-secondary education. So I thought, well, I don't want to be left behind. So I have to go and then I have to pick a major. So I always read those crime stories, you know, those true crime stories. And, um, you know, and that was kind of interesting and in, in why people do such horrible things and that. And then I thought, well, criminology sounds like a great thing because it's more than one syllable and it will impress my friends. <laughs> so that's so really good. It. I told you it was silly. Yeah. That's actually how I decided to pick my major. More so than I, one I, syllable. That's all. That's all. That's I mean, good. Okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So that's how I ended up, and I um, got a degree at the, the University of Alberta in criminology. And then in our uh, third and fourth year, we had these what they called field placements or practicums. And mine was at the Edmonton Parole Office for the third year. And then at the fourth year, it was at Edmonton Institution, then the Maximum Security Penitentiary. And my supervisors were awesome. They allowed me to go in and interview inmates on my own, write up reports. I mean, they looked them over and everything, but they really gave me a lot of latitude to, to work there. And so I thought, well, this sounds kind of okay. I don't mind it. So then they were looking for correctional officers at an Edmonton institution, and I applied and I got in. So oh. that's kind of how I tumbled through that um, and ended up in as a, a career in corrections and like continued with it for 26 years and then retired. Wow. wow. So you were, you started as a correctional officer at the max. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. What was that experience like? Well, it was 1988 and everybody's hair was really large. Uh, <laughs> I don't wow. so, did I really wear hairspray to work? But yeah, I did. Things uh, that were three feet high or something ridiculous. And, okay, so how many women worked there when you worked there? Um, actually, there was there was a good group of women. There was quite there was quite a few. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I have to be so thankful and grateful for the for the women that came before me that paved the the road because it wasn't uh, wasn't an easy road for for them mm -hmm. but by the time I started in 88 there was uh, a lot of you know women and the crew that I was put on uh the squads as we called them back then they actually had a lot of the new staff and a lot of the women staff so you know we had really good really good support and the male colleagues that I worked with were really awesome too. So, I mean, yeah, when you look back, there were, there were things that you, today wouldn't happen, right? But, right. you know, overall, like people were good and they were supportive. I mean, I remember searching cells and there's like pornography all over the walls of these inmate cells, right? People smoked in the office staff, uh, inmates smoked, you know, it, it was yeah. just sort of a, it was a different time, 
But people, like when incidents happen, staff, even the staff that didn't necessarily get along on a day-to-day basis, when things happen, people mm-hmm. chipped in and worked through it, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't know you started at the, at the max as a, so were you a CX, a CX one or two? No, I was a CX one. And then I became a two and then, then parole officer thing and a bunch of other kind of jobs that I had, but no, I started as a a CX one and yeah, I, I was a terrible shot because we had to obviously qualify with weapons and I actually had to go through court twice. But again, corrections was really good to me. I um, I failed the weapons, the revolver. Give me a shotgun any day. Hey, yeah. I like that. You can't miss with a shotgun. <laughs> but the revolver, you know, I, I struggled with that. But there was a lot of, um, our actually our core that we had that went through, we had more women than I think any other core at, oh, at wow. that time. Yeah. And there was a lot of people who never shot before, men and women. And we had a lot of people that really struggled with it, but the instructors were really good to me because they took me aside when they were sending me home and they said, you know what, you've done really good in every other area. So if you can go and qualify with the institutional um, shooting instructor and you can come back, we still have to put you through the whole core again and through the weapons and you have to qualify here again at the regional headquarters or at the regional um, trainings, but if you can qualify with your institutional guy, then we'll we'll put you back through. And the I went back to the institution, and the guy there was really good, and he was a he was a wonderful instructor and a great great shot. And he was able to teach me in a way that I was able to to qualify and shoot. And ever since then, I I never had problems qualifying because we had to you know do that routinely once you were hired so I have you know again it's it's everywhere as you go whichever place you work at there's always people that uh that you think back that you're thankful that they were there for you so and he was definitely one of them that's so good I remember I had to go from Edmonton Institution for Women to Bowdoin (laughs) and I had to qualify I was a two but they said you need to learn how to shoot these guys I'd never even held a gun before so every day I was terrified and I'd play this I'd play this song called Gunshot to get myself like hyped up (laughs) when I got there and then I was just like a mouse right I was so quiet I was like I don't like this and yeah but they they were so good they just helped me a lot they were like, you will get this. You will not fail, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. was the revolver too. It was the revolver for me too. Yeah. And yeah. I could I could bring it up out of the holster and then hold it. And then it was like shake, 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 shaking your hands and <laughs> yeah. trying yeah. hitting this. Tar- yeah. <laughs> trying yeah. to hit the target. Yeah. Uh, and that was me too, because a lot of people at our core, like when we went through to be a two, you had to get 80% on that first test. And yeah. a lot of people didn't. So then they said, well, okay, you're not going to EIFW, but we will take you at Edmonton Institution as a one. But you have now you're going down a different path. And I was so right. grateful that I did not have to. Yeah. <laughs> like the I wasn't yeah. even in the right place to fucking begin with. I was like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. I don't uh, want to. <laughs> oh, but you know what? Working at the Max had it like, I mean, there were, it had its own challenges. 
but the work at EIFW, oh, it was never ending. Yes. yes. Like, that's one thing I, 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 um, I really wished that uh, management at the time realized what they had in their staff at EIFW. Because mm-hmm. you guys did, you guys worked your tails off consistently mm-hmm. every day. You know, the quiet days. Uh, well, there was very few of those, but <laughs> but you know, it didn't matter what day it was. So, yeah, that that's true. It it was a different chapter of our lives, right? It was such a crazy yeah. time. But for you, so how long were you at the max? Nineteen. Uh, oh, from. 88. Oh, 88. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm not cool. I started in 88, and I'm thinking I was there for probably 10 or 12 years. And then I went to Grierson Center. So oh, okay. you're going to minimum security. So you're going from one extreme to another. Yeah. Um, and Grierson was fun. I, I actually, every place I've been at, I was, there was something really enjoyable about it. But Grierson, you dealt with me that had a chance of not coming back right you know first-time offenders people whose lives weren't as broken as what you see in maximum security and so that was always rewarding i mean it was one of those jobs um i was the only parole officer there for a while with a caseload of 30 um and then we got another parole officer later on which was awesome that she had a half caseload there and then someone upstairs because minimum security, 30 inmates. That's because they're always doing something. They're, yeah, they're writing. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They're always going off wow. for parole. Or... <laughs> yeah. Cor- correctional plan, man. <laughs> He's keeping up with all of that stuff, right? That's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And then I went from there, I went up to um, the parole. I was there, I think, maybe five, six years or something. And then I went to community parole. Because when I started this journey, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a community parole officer. Okay. But I only did that for, for one year. And then I went to EIFW. And I liked the community parole officer uh, job. It was it was interesting. I mean, there were times where you, you kind of question, why are we doing doing this? And I, I'll just give you an example. And, and this was before we had... Yeah, um, the death in CSC of the community parole officer up north. But you would go to an inmate's uh, home while they're on parole. So you'd go to their home, and there was no safeguards. You would just go. Like, I didn't even have a, like a CSC cell phone or anything. At one time, I go to this guy. He's crazy. And, he, and he's like, um, sort of a Vietnamese drug lord. And there was a drive-by shooting a week before I took over that caseload, and his wife got shot in her finger. Oh, God. Through the window of his house. So I go there, and they're eating lunch or something, and he tells me, oh, no, you sit right here. And all I could think was, that's by the window. (laughs) (laughs) And and really, like, and what he was doing was he was just wanting to be courteous, I guess, and not have me sit where all the food was but that's all I could think of was oh that's the window (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's scary I mean things evolved and they started to have you know um, even before we had the death where you had a book where you sign out if 
um, you were going to, you know, check on somebody. So at least they know where you were going to. And, you know, now there's cell phones and those sort of things. So it makes, it makes it a little safer for staff. I remember pulling up one time, me and another officer went on an ETA to a family and we pulled up and we were like, for real? Like, has anybody even, we started going through the paperwork going, there's no way that someone came and checked this out and said, this is okay to be at. So we're like going through the paperwork. And then I'm like, so we go in the house and there's like a grandfather who's like in this corner, this other, these other people are like making all this food. There's like a million people everywhere. And I'm like, who's supposed to, we're like going through the paper because you're not supposed to have all these people in the house. You're only supposed to have to improve people. And we're like, we're on our way back right now. And the inmate was livid, but I was like, we, this, we cannot, like, we cannot be putting ourselves in this situation at this time because it was, and it was after that had happened after the death up north and you know you're very conscious of that when something rattles a community so significantly yeah you're conscious of it right and you're and you're like okay yes our everyone's safety comes first and I didn't feel safe at all right for putting myself in that situation putting inmate in that situation because who knows what and it could have totally been fine I don't know we left (laughs) yeah it's the right call to make we're out of here we're out of here yeah Yeah. like technology I I look at it there's been times where technology's been kind of like an enemy right where -hmm. people have to be on call 24-7 and accessible all the time but then there's times where technology has actually been a good thing where we can track where people are and they you know uh, they can call if they're in a, in a bad situation, because even before I started, you know, there, there was, there was nothing for, for people. They just, and they would do these funerals, like you were talking, they do a funeral, uh, escort and go to these, uh, certain communities and, and, um, not know what they're walking into. And, you know, most of the times they were, they were fine that, that the, the families, that were grieving were, were good about things. They were actually were respectful to the staff, but every once in a while, I mean, you'd have somebody's cousin or somebody's relative that's a little off the wall and decides to start a confrontation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you're not it's, equipped. For no. <laughs> and we, and we've done those like ETAs where there's gang members uh, from the max at the same funeral service right of this person that they're they mutually know and you're like a lot of times Lauren we're standing there in our hoodies and our you know cargo pants and thinking yeah with no cell (laughs) at least I'm incognito (laughs) (laughs) let's just hope nothing goes down right like we can run that's about it you're like running up to the RCMP officer going I'm a corrections officer anything yeah, that's like you're, true, a, eh? you're a you're in a pink hoodie. What are you talking? Yeah, exactly. Oh, jeez. Okay, so you so you go do community problem. So you come to EIFW. When do you come to EIFW? Like right when it opened? Oh no, no, no! I actually applied when it uh, before it opened for a uh, what was it team leader position. And oh. oh, it was probably the worst interview of my entire life. Like, <laughs> I totally bombed it, you know. And then the people that you you in, 
that interviewed you, you, you ran into them again and you're so embarrassed and you're like, oh, you know, and then, you know, they go, they start giving you a post board and you go, oh, I don't want a post board. I'm just humiliated. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I did. And you know what? It's probably the best thing for me. I always go, there is things turn out for a reason. And that Absolutely. certainly was one of them because I don't think I was ready to work there when it first opened. Um, I think it was probably the best thing for me to go to a minimum security and go to a community facility instead of going straight from a max to, to the women's prison. Mm-hmm. So uh, I probably showed up oh, late 1990s, I think, maybe 98, 99, I'm thinking there at the, the women's prison and I went there as a, at that time was that coordinator of case management which they re, renamed to uh, manager of assessment and intervention so I, I went there because it was a, a promotion mm-hmm. and uh, but this is one of the things I remember too about the dedication of the staff at EIFW I remember they used to sign up in that book you would remember that Sharon and probably yeah. you too, Lauren, for a case conference. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yes. I had people, I had people that would sign up on their days off. <laughs> and I would say, no, you're not coming in on a day off. Like, yeah. that's insane. Like, why would you do that? And they would say, well, you know, because I just want to work around everybody's schedule. And I'm like, no, you're the no. shift worker. We're going to work around your <laughs> schedule, right? Oh, yeah. I forgot I about just, the case conference. Yeah, book. the book. Yeah. yeah. Oh. The dreaded book. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, like, I would like, go, was, I'd make sure everything was up to date and then I'd go. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that though. Oh, geez. Yeah. But I do. I remember people were coming in on their days off. And I, and I said to, to the management team at that time, I said, we can't do that to people. And they go, well, they don't, they want to. And I'm like, well, no, it doesn't matter if they want to. Yeah. You, you got to have boundaries for people because you, what you do is you burn out really good, dedicated staff. Mm-hmm. And when you burn out people, you don't get them back. Mm-hmm. And if you do get them back, they're never, they're never the same. Right. You know, you get from yeah. a broken version. Uh, yeah right yeah yeah Yeah. and that 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 place is like a almost like a setup for a burnout because you just want to help and do your best and yeah and keep working and working and you always get rewarded yeah you you get rewarded anytime you want to (laughs) and financially that's amazing but we're i'm actually doing this this uh uh thing this Thursday night. So on the fourth, this will be released after that, but with a, a person in finances who talks about first responders really uh, living with the overtime and how that affects yeah. their lifestyle style substantially when either it's gone, they get injured because none of that counts towards their actual pay and how right. lifestyles really get uh, yeah. affected when that happens. But I mean, I, th- I remember like, I think my first paycheck was like thirteen hundred dollars uh, for two weeks of work, and then the next week I worked some overtime, and it was like two thousand dollars. I was like, yeah. "What? Wow! Yeah. What a jump, eh? Yeah, 
Yeah. And it's like, like, I'll do this. Addict- yeah, exactly. It's addictive because then I went, yeah. you're like, I got like an yeah, $800 and I went and bought like a $20,000 car. And my dad was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, are you kidding, dad? I'll just work overtime. I'm rich. Yeah. I'm rich, dad. Totally. Because um, like, it was like trip planning and making yes. it rain. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And everything was about the overtime to, and, and that's so true because, and, and day shift was significantly harder than evening, evening shift or Midnight. Uh, night shift. So yeah. I worked a lot of nights because people hated them. They had kids. I was yeah. like, I don't have kids. I'll take them. But I burnt out super quick doing yeah. it that way. Uh, of yeah. course, the work wasn't as hard, but it was hard on my body. It was hard on my mental capacity, right? To just yeah. do nights all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Mid- uh, yeah. You're, you're right about the mental health with the midnight shift. Because I remember I was single when I first started Max. I was 22. And there's just this, I don't know, there's loneliness about working midnight shift and you start to lose your friends Mm -hmm. because the people that you hang out with don't have those kind of hours. So you you create new friends with work and that's good, but you, you need balance. So when you only have your work friends that get together, that talk and normally bitch about work, it becomes really unhealthy and the I mean, I was fortunate. I was always able to to sleep working like midnight shifts and to to adjust schedule wise. But there was just this, I don't know, this kind of maybe a slight depression or uh, sadness about having to go to work at 3 a.m. And you're you're so bloody tired at 3 a.m. And trying to fight that, staying awake and yeah. And just not having um, a good outside support system. You have a support system within work, but just not having, like I said, that balance of people that that you can talk to that know nothing about corrections, which is right? so nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's easier yeah. to to keep them. Here's what I found: it was easier to keep those people, and it was hard to keep those people. But it was it was so much harder to get them back later to get them to understand what you have gone through. Right. So it's like, right. You really need that balance of inside outside friends, which sounds so ridiculous to say, but you really yeah. need that balance. Yeah. <laughs> so that, you know, a couple of years, like I, not that I lost all of my friends, but there was quite a few that I was like, because I had moved from Lethbridge. Most of my friends were in Calgary or Lethbridge or we all left university and all went all over the map. And it was like, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. Yeah. But then it was like, later after I went through everything they were like I had no idea yeah that that happened to you um and I'm like yeah but how would you I didn't share those things but I might have if I had kept them close enough to yeah who knows right hindsight's 2020 so it's so true yeah because I and plus when we were doing the shift work when we first started it was seven on three off and then it was like they told you in court like separate the two boundaries, blah, blah, blah. But then Tuesday comes and no one else is off except, you know, Brendan and Lauren, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so it was just like, that's who you gravitated to. And so your other friends were not, and you, you miss so much too of your, your real life. Yeah. I remember missing like weddings and yes, like right. big yeah. milestone things for yeah. close friends of mine. Cause I was like, Oh, I got to work. Oh, I, gotta I work. have to work. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I never thought then, well, I could take the time off. 
I didn't want like not like selfishly I wanted the time off because I booked some trip with my overtime money Mm -hmm. but I so I don't want to take the time off to go to some wedding or some right whatever right Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're like yeah uh, it's a vicious cycle for sure yeah yeah and I got peopled out after a while too so if I and and if my husband and I were going on a holiday it was like let's just go somewhere quiet. I remember going on a cruise ship and, you know, you, you do that where you see, you get seated with everybody else and, and, and that's fine. But there was a time where we just like, let's just go on a cruise ship and just have a table for two <laughs> and not have to talk because what do people do? What do you do? And you're like, I don't want to talk about work. Here, right? You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, and now it's okay. You know, you're retired, and it's like, hey, this is fine now. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, I know. We went. uh, I think I've told this story before on here, but we went on a a Mexico vacation, me and my husband, just the two of us. And he, uh, he's like, don't tell people I'm a police officer. And I was like, okay, whatever. He's like, I don't want to talk about it. So I'm like, okay. So we meet this couple, and they're from Cleveland, Ohio, which is so interesting because our last name's Cleveland. And we start talking and hanging out with them. And he says, oh, I work for the city. And my husband kind of says, oh, I work on the oil rigs because he used to. So we thought if, you know, if I get caught, I at least know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then yeah. The next night we're having a couple drinks and the wife comes out and says by accident that her husband's a police officer outside Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm like, what? I'm like, my husband's a police officer. <laughs> we like gravitated to each other. It was so crazy. Oh, that's it funny. It was so fun after, but Trevor, like, so they thought it was so, because the policing in the US and the policing in Canada is so different, right? So these yeah. two were like best buddies for the next four days. We couldn't pull them apart from each other. But to say it to someone else, we're like, I just don't want the questions. I don't yeah. want yeah. you know? Yeah. Right? Same yeah. with like us. Like, oh, yeah. I bet you got good stories. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Sure do. Listen yeah, to the podcast. Yeah, here's the podcast link. <laughs> well, I used to go in and get my hair done, and I'd always go to different salons and everything. I never had the same hairdresser because I'm just a fucky person. But anyway, I, they'd go, so what do you do? And I'd always lie. And I'd say, oh, I'm a server. Because nobody... Nobody goes, oh, really? That sounds interesting. What exactly is that? And it's like, <laughs> you know, and as soon as you say corrections, they want to know more. And yes. I don't want to say it. No, yeah, sure. I hear you. That's so true. That's so true. Okay, so you come to the IFW. Uh, you work as the intake, it's intake, intake and assessment. No, you're the- that Manager, no, uh, uh, manager of assessment and, and intervention. That's what it was. Okay. MAI. You did that MAI. for the rest of your career? Uh, nope. I, um, okay. uh, I went, actually, when I was at EIFW, I got an opportunity to go work at regional headquarters in audits and investigations. Oh, so oh. I, yeah, so I had a year-long secondment where I was in Saskatoon doing that. Ooh. So that was actually, that was, that was an awesome job. I, I I had a great supervisor there, a great team of people. But after a year, they asked me if I wanted to stay. And I remember being in Victoria and Vancouver, beautiful cities, right? And we were doing um, audits there. And that's when they asked if they wanted to stay. And I was really kind of at a point where I miss home. I want to go back. I want to see my husband every single night, not mm-hmm. every three weeks or every second week or something. So I said, I said, thanks, but you know what, I'm going to go back. So I came back to um, 
TIFW, stayed there for a few more years, was so burning out, actually. And it's one of those things you just don't tell anybody that you're doing that. And I remember looking around at the other managers and people were drowning everywhere. And nobody's going to throw you a life preserver because they're drowning too. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to my husband, I am going to be off on stress leave if I something doesn't change. I just can't keep up with the workload. Um, and then a guy that I used to, who used to work for me as a parole officer was now a... Uh, assistant warden at the max and so he calls me up and he says hey do you want to come over here as a manager like a lateral transfer and I'm like oh yes do I (laughs) and um and that's what I I did and like when after I left they took the job that I was doing and they split it into two two people And and I knew I knew as long as I was there it was never going to happen because they never found me curled up on the floor, rocking yeah. myself or anything. So it's you did like, that at home. Fine. <laughs> yeah. fine, you know? And uh, yeah, so I go, yeah, you know what? I did it wrong. I should have just, you know, curled up into the corner, started rocking myself and, you know, they would have uh, rectified the situation. But, um, and I felt bad leaving it in some ways because I had, excellent just awesome parole officers and they were such a good group of people like just caring and they were the ones that always would check in on me right um but uh yeah you just you you don't really tell a lot of people what's going on because you just feel like i should be able to do this you know i should be able to keep up yeah Mm -hmm. but they they always they have the habit though at eifw when you're doing a good job you get rewarded with more work right oh there's some more you're so good at it right or here's the expectation on you guys because you're so good at it until you until you snap right or Mm -hmm. transfer or leave or yeah you find like the grass is greener somewhere else right yeah right yeah okay so what year did you go to the max oh I'm probably mid 90s I'm thinking I, you know what I can't remember dates it's all a blur after 20 okay. years but probably yeah, it's in the mid 90s yeah it's gotta be 2000s 2000s probably because when did you leave oh, no, did I say mid 90s no yeah, yeah. I, mean, I meant mid 2000s yeah mm-hmm. probably 2005 yeah. 2000 yeah sorry around there yeah I'm going that's okay later. it's all so, good that's probably um, what, what it was. And then I stayed there doing that job. And then I, um, my last two years before I retired, I had the best job in the world, uh, recruitment. Mm, I worked no, for a okay. regional headquarters doing recruitment. So oh, I was nice. interviewing people who were starting off in corrections or wanted a job in corrections. And you really do appreciate what you what you have career-wise or job-wise when you see these people so wanting to have the job that you have or yeah. any job in corruption. Mm-hmm. So it really put a lot of things in perspective. And we also did career fairs. And my favorite, I have to tell this one, my favorite was, because you know how it is in corrections, it's so crazy and it's just such an abnormal workplace in some ways. So I'm at this career fair in Lethbridge and at the end of the career fair, they put on this little luncheon with 
all these different hors d'oeuvres and alcohol. <laughs> you get wine and beer. And so the career fair ends yes. in the afternoon, and I'm getting to be able to drink nice. and getting paid. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> but yeah, so there were some perks with that. Job. I did recruiting like, when I was pregnant with Debbie Zer. Uh, so that would have been like 2010. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I loved it. I worked at the Max um, in the, like the outside building. And then we did the Lethbridge, the Calgary, the Edmonton. Uh, we did like the women's show. We did the career fair. We did like a bunch of stuff. It was yeah. so like, and we've just gotten uniforms. It was so funny. I remember going to the career fair with my uniform, like stapled on the bottom because I didn't have yeah. time to get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was like the big, like girl pants, like right under my boobs. Oh yeah. And I look like such high rise. Pretty. I have pictures. I found pictures just recently. <laughs> I should post them there. So funny. I'm doing like a push up thing with a, uh, another corrections officer. They were, we were just having this like fun little thing at our booth. It was so fun. So fun. I loved recruiting. That was probably my yeah. favorite job of all time. Yeah. 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 I could have, I could have continued in that, but I, um, I knew I was going to retire. And, uh, so I said, you know what, you need to put somebody else in there because I'm going to be going back to my old job and then not staying there for very long. Yeah. And that's yeah. exactly what, what happened. So yeah, but that was, that was the best, that was the best job. I mean, they all had, they all had something like when I worked at EIFW, it could have been the most craziest time in my career, but the staff was just phenomenal. So that got you through the day. Yeah. yeah. That's always so true. joking. Always. I, I found like, yeah, we were always making the best of, a crappy situation right I mean even on the worst day we, we would pull together at the end of it and yeah. like laugh our faces off or Sharon would like do yeah. something at the front desk and be like I'll, I'll pay you 25 bucks to do this I was like, all right let's go <laughs> yeah. and, and I've, always, I've always had a fondness for for the max because I started off there and so many people had my back there you know mm-hmm. and I think when you work as a correctional officer you you see that more than in the other position. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that's it's so true, and that's like our our fondest memories are that right. The people, not so much the job, but the people, and the knowing that people have your back, which um, brings me to so you left corrections, you retired, and you reinvented yourself. So, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now because it's very exciting. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm writing. I'm writing contemporary romance novels. Awesome. And that is quite different than what I used to do, but I always enjoyed the writing, um, the writing of the reports. So that's kind of how I um, started to do this. Just the joy of writing. Um, and I said, I said. I want something that has a happily ever after at the end. Uh, I've seen enough tragic stories, uh, enough Mm -hmm. broken people that don't get a happily ever after. That when I'm writing a a fictional story, that's what I want to see. But I also weave in some of the reality too. Um, The first book I wrote, um, Beyond Circumstances, that is actually getting a redo in regards to a new cover, a new name, because a, a different publisher has picked that one up. 
But anyways, that one um, had a character with PTSD in it. So that book is very dear to, to my heart um, in that way. And then my latest book, Breaking Hard, is about a mechanic with ADHD. Um, and um, a lot of times when we think about ADHD uh, in corrections, what happens is we see the, the negative things. But there are so many people and children and adults out there that the ADHD is um, the, the traits that goes along with that has been a positive thing in some ways too, the creativity. And so I created a character that certainly has some struggles and challenges with ADHD, but is also a, a success, like a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, so that one was kind of a, a, a cool one to write. Um, and I've got two other books that I've done in draft form that I'm still kind of working through uh, doing edits on that. But uh, I've got a, um, a great publisher now, the Wild Rose Press out of uh, um, New York. And um, they've uh, been really good to me. So I'm happy for that. My first publisher was great, but it's a tough business too. And, and they actually had to close up shop. So that's why I've got this this book that it's going to be republished. So I don't know what the new name is, but I'm going to yeah. actually, when I do get that, I'm actually going to post it. I have a website. So if anybody Ooh, does okay. want to check that out, it's actually my name.com. So it's G L O R I A J O Y N T L A N G.com. And um, you can go on there to, to buy the books, but they're also available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Kobo, um, uh, Chapters 2 can order it. Um, so they're available in a, in a, in a variety of different, different formats and oh. in both paperback and e-reader. Amazing. So. Awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. To sit down and just go through the joy of like deciding this is what I want to do now. This Mm -hmm. is who I am. I I love creating characters. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and you have a lot so, to choose from. You could, yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> <laughs> you could put a bunch of people into one character, and it would be yeah. quite the story. <laughs> that's it's so that's yeah. so awesome to hear because you uh, right now you're in California, and we were saying, wow, because we're we're about to the, the winter is about to hit here where we are so and you're just we're out jealous. there yeah we're jealous we want to be you we want to be you we want to come do the podcast there yeah we want to set up, you know, set oh, up the that studio would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. podcast with margaritas yeah. <laughs> totally. uh, we didn't think this through good enough Sharon I know exactly exactly uh, Oh, well, it's so good to catch up with you and hear what you're doing and hear like life after corrections, right? Because we hear so many negative things. Like I'm sure you've heard the statistic that like most correctional officers don't make it past five years of retirement or most, but I think when you find a purpose outside of that and you're like, okay, that part of my life is over. I'm starting a new one. I'm going to be creative. I'm going to reinvent myself. I'm going to go ahead with yeah. something different you yeah. you really start to live over again it doesn't matter how old you are when you find right. purpose and passion and, you yeah. 
you're able to go forward and not carry yeah. all of those, the baggage with you, right? Like I'm sure a bunch of us are yeah. dragging along a bunch of bags of crap that we don't need anymore. So you're just like, yeah. drop the bag. Yeah. Where are we going next? Which is very yeah. cool. And it's inspirational. Like, I hope you know Absolutely. that. Because I feel oh. like there are so many people here that are like, oh my God, she did that long in corrections retired where Sharon and I are like fuck this we're out <laughs> we're out of here <laughs> <laughs> and then you have yeah. this different outlook right this different totally. space and a, a totally different life that you go forward and say well I did this in my first life now in this cool space this is what I'm doing so I yes. love it it's very exciting oh. it's yeah I totally agree it's and what you said it's it's your joy of writing that led you to this new place and we're gonna um we'll set up the link uh when we release this one um i think we said the 11th possibly we're not yeah. gonna don't hold us to that and okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah this is it's amazing to see what people are up to after and especially writing like that's near and dear to my heart and it's just amazing to see yeah thank you so thank you well thank you for having me and i I love listening to you guys. Oh, uh, you, thank you. You guys uh, have a lot of great uh, topics and uh, a lot of uh, is interesting catching up with. I feel like when I listen to you guys, I catch up with people that I once worked with too. So that's nice. Yeah, that's fun. Hey, it is fun. Yeah. I, that's yeah. probably my favorite part is catching up with the people yeah. that we've worked with. And, and we're going to have different people on this year, but um, I'm sure we'll go back to that. But mm -hmm. it, but people that we worked with have gone on and done incredible things, yeah, right? Absolutely. So it's hard not to pull from that group of people because mm -hmm. that's who we know and we want we want to everybody else to know it too. Well, that's all for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at From Uniforms to Unicorns uh, on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Speaker, all of those. Also, feel free to subscribe. You'll be notified of new episodes that come out and we always love a review. Also, feel free to share with anybody you would enjoy. We also want to send a big thank you to Jamie Green for being our podcast editor and to Jeff Bale at Third Hell Music for our soundtrack. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day. Love, Lauren and Sharon.